Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us again today as we try to find some answers to your questions. And that's what we do each week on Know Your Bible. You'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use either one of those to get in touch with us. And we let you decide what we talk about on Know Your Bible. That's the, the plan. We'll take any kind of question about the Bible specifically. What's that verse mean? Or is this in the Bible? Or does this really mean that? Uh, and we get a lot of life questions where folks just wonder about their family life or the, uh, things going on in the country, moral issues or whatever. And they wonder what the Bible has to say about it. And we'd be happy to try to find answers to any of those kind of questions. So give us a call or log on and let us know what you want us to talk about. Let me introduce my sidekick here who helps me answer questions each week. Mr. Toby Levering's back. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and studied up and ready to go. We always start with the question for our viewers before we start tackling their questions. Uh, and today's trivia question is, what city was Noah, uh, Jonah sent to? Uh, not Noah, Jonah, another fellow with a boat, uh, <laughs> boat story. Anyhow, Jonah was told to go somewhere uh, by God. So what city was he sent to be a missionary to? All right, Tobe, I think you drew the first question today, so I do. let you just get us started. Got a question about baptism. A viewer wants to know, what requirements are there for baptism? Well, this is uh, an astute question from someone who has studied the Bible and clearly can see that baptism is part of uh, how we receive the grace of God. Of course, we don't earn it, uh, but it is something that Jesus commanded to do, and of course, the apostles commanded. And this viewer wants to know how exactly do we go about that? What is the best way to approach it? Well, I think the first uh, thing that a person who wants to be baptized, they must be mature enough to understand that they uh, have sin and uh, that their sin uh, separates them from God. And no matter how good of a person you are, uh, your, your sin, however small or big it is, is what separates you from the Lord. And once you have that understanding, you must be able to repent of that sin. Repent simply means a change of heart, meaning you've decided you don't want to live that way. Uh, you want to stop living as you've been living. You want to seek to uh, not live just for what you want to do, but for what the Lord requires. Uh, the third is that, of course, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the only uh, way to God, that He is the only name given to men by which we must be saved. And you must put your faith in Him and, and trust in Him. And then, of course, you must be immersed, uh, which is what the word baptism literally means, uh, to, to dip, to plunge, to be buried. And this is the idea that we see conveyed in scriptures as well. And, of course, uh, I did rush over one that you, the scripture says that we must confess with our mouths uh, that we believe that Jesus is Lord. 
and put all those things together and that's kind of uh, the process if you will but really it's not the process there's no step-by-step uh, -step process laid out those are just a series of scriptures that we picked out and looked over let's look at 20, Acts chapter 22 16 which probably gives us uh, the most uh, urgent thing we need to do once we have an understanding this is uh, the uh, question given to Paul uh, and now why do you wait Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Once you have an understanding, which is not a hard thing to do, uh, the most important thing to do is to cease waiting and to do what the Lord requires. So I hope that that helps our viewer. All right. Thank you, Toby. Uh, I got a question from Revelation about the mark of the beast. We get a lot of interest in that book. And this one wants to know, what do you consider uh, to be the mark of the beast? I thought as I got that one and studied on it a little bit that uh, we're not near as exciting as most television <laughs> preachers that talk about Revelation because most of them could talk for hours on that and tell you exactly who's uh, the beast, whether he's in the White House or over in <laughs> Europe or who he is and uh, work on that for a long time. Uh, if you follow the Left Behind series and have that premillennial concept of Revelation, <laughs> Uh, then you can worry about all those things and try to figure all that out in today's world. Uh, you need to understand that there are different ways of reading Revelation. And some people take the prophecy in Revelation and try to apply it to today. Uh, in general, on Know Your Bible, we don't take that approach. We believe that Revelation itself uh, says that it was for the very early days of Christianity. Let me show you just a couple of verses from Revelation that are the key to why we read it the way we do. The very first verse in the book, uh, which is usually the introduction to a book and tells you what to expect, uh, it said, This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, that's John who's writing it, to show his servants what must soon take place. All right, so it starts out and says, this is going to happen pretty soon. And then just a couple of verses later it says, Blessed is the one who reads the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So anytime anybody in the first century after John wrote down the revelation and they picked it up, they knew immediately this is going to take place soon and the time is near. Well, to pick that book up 2,000 years later and say to people, oh, look, the time is near, that's not very honest. That's not, not being true to the text. Uh, it, the time was near then, and it happened then. So, the mark of the beast, the, the book is about the persecution that the church was going to receive. Uh, they received most of that persecution from the Roman uh, emperors, and I believe the mark of the beast in general uh, was symbolic of all of those people that were against Christianity. There was a huge battle back then between people that believed Caesar was the emperor and people that believed Jesus was the uh, the Messiah, the the King of Kings. Uh, and they didn't get along very well. So uh, it's symbolic of those who were against Christianity, probably in particular one of the Caesars that uh, uh, the people that read that book understood it perfectly. I think they knew exactly what John was talking about when they read it there in the first century. Uh, and it took place, it came true, uh, and that's why we don't uh, 
spend as much time on uh, revelation interpretation as a lot of folks on TV do. But I think that's what the mark of the beast is, just those against Christianity. All right, the next question a viewer asked is, the Bible says pray without ceasing. Isn't that impossible? Uh, well, I, I think if you take it literally, it might be impossible. Um, but I, I think the idea here that's conveyed, if you understand in context, is uh, something a little bit different. Let's look at it in context on the screen. Uh, actually, it's just that verse says, pray without ceasing. So, But in the verses before, he says, rejoice always. The verse after, he says, give thanks in all circumstances, <coughs> for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So in the, in the context of verse 16 and verse 18, he tucks in, pray without ceasing. <coughs> and it's just this idea that can, Christians ought to be uh, continually steadfast in their faith, uh, should not give up, should continue forward. And no matter what the circumstances come in life, we don't give up and we don't give in. And of course, uh, the temptation <coughs> with prayer, I think, is to stop. Sometimes we may feel discouraged. We may feel like God doesn't hear us or He's not responding in the way which we would like. And so we just say, well, what is the point in praying? If I can hear no audible response, if I can see no evidence of the response immediately, um, the temptation is that we cease praying. What good can it possibly do? And I do think there are Christians who struggle with that. But uh, the idea of a prayer life for the Christian is this ongoing uh, internal conversation with the Lord. And we might think of it as just a formal thing that we do in public. Well, that's a very, you know, that's sort of the tip of the iceberg. Uh, the depth of the prayer life ought to be like the underneath of the iceberg, very deep and, and rich and personal. And out of that should come the occasional uh, public prayer. Uh, but Jesus, or uh, Paul here saying just simply don't give up and, and don't cease just because you don't see the short-term effect. Uh, prayer is something that achieves results in the long term and for what's, what's best for us. Jesus told a couple of stories, uh, one in particular about a persistent widow who kept coming to this unjust judge and, and kept saying, please help me, please help me, over and over and over again. Well, Jesus told kind of that ridiculous story to illustrate that we should have the attitude like the persistent widow that we don't give up. In fact, that's what it says. We should always pray and not give up. And this is the idea from 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Don't give up your prayer life. Okay. Uh, and people understand that. We, we run into that all the time in this world. If, say the doctor starts you on an exercise program and mm -hmm. says, I want you to walk two miles a day. Yep. And uh, go home and walk two miles a day. And right. You go back in a week and he says, did you do it? Well, I did it for two days and yep. then I quit. Uh, that's not what he meant. He, he meant do it without <laughs> yeah. ceasing. Got to bring it into uh, your life. Yep, he yep. didn't. He didn't mean you got to walk 24 hours a day, but <laughs> do this yep. and don't stop doing it. So we understand that. It just does sound funny to pray without ceasing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> Take this moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible. Besides what we do here on Know Your Bible, we've got some free study materials that we're happy to share with all of our viewers, and it's a great way to... Uh, Learn your Bible to find out what's in it. We spend 30 minutes a week talking about the Bible and trying to answer questions, but uh, we don't cover near all of it, and uh, this is a great way to do it. We've got a series of lessons. This first one series has about eight lessons in it. 
Uh, it's just a good overview of the Bible, good non-denominational, not tied to any church. It's just straight Bible study. And uh, when you're done, you'll know a whole lot more about the Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, how those two are separate, what some of the major themes of the Bible are. Uh, so you'll learn a lot about your Bible. And when you're done with those eight lessons, and you can take as long as you want to complete them. Uh, that's why we send them to you in the mail and let you do them in your own home. Uh, you can go as fast or as slow as you want. Uh, but when you're done with that, we've got some more advanced courses that we're happy to get to you. And you can keep studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. All you have to do to get one is uh, call that number on the screen or log on to the website and say you'd like that free course. We'll get you one in the mail immediately and uh, we think you'll enjoy it. So, great way to study the Bible. All right, my next question is about terminology. Uh, should we say Churches of Christ or only Church of Christ since there's only one church? Well, this person uh, is either familiar with the Churches of Christ or has been listening to this program. Uh, and in our intro, I think we do say the Churches of Christ uh, provide this program for you. And I know when I talk about a specific church uh, during the program, I'll say the Churches of Christ provide this program for you. But then when we answer a question about how many churches there are, we'll say there's one church uh, because Jesus said He had built His church. Well, either one is right depending on the context is what I think the real answer is. And let me try to illustrate with an earthly illustration. Uh, most of us are familiar with the organization called the YMCA, the Young Men's Christian Association. In one sense the YMCA is international. There is the YMCA. But in the other sense, uh, you could say, I know where all of the YMCAs are in Wichita uh, or whatever city you live in. There may be more than one YMCA, and that's how you'd speak of them. The, the branches are individual YMCAs. Uh, so it's similar to that with the church. There is one church, uh, but there are groups of Christians meeting in lots of places, and that's a church of Christ. Uh, the Bible uses it both ways. Let me show you that uh, in uh, Matthew 16, 18, uh, Jesus Himself said, I will build my church. That's the international, universal, worldwide church. That's people that believe in Jesus, are baptized into Him, obey Him, and become children of God. That's the church, the called out. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But uh, Paul, when he's writing in Romans 16, 16, writing to the Romans, uh, he had been visiting lots of individual churches of Christ, so he sent greetings to Rome. He said, all the churches of Christ greet you. He had been to the one in uh, the Ephesus and the one in the churches in Galatia and all of that. So he sent greetings from them. So either one's okay as long as you know what context you're talking about it. Uh, let me just mention that the word itself, church, means called out. People that are called out from the world. So the universal church uh, is the one church. That's everybody that has obeyed Christ and come out of the world to follow Him and be a Christian. Uh, then the churches would be the called out people in a location, uh, Wichita or Derby or St. John or Pratt or wherever you live. There's a group of Christians that have been called out from the world. That's a individual church of Christ. So, depending on the context, you can use either one. Just understand what you're talking about, I think. 
All right, the next question is, uh, viewer asks, where does it say money is the root of all evil? Uh, well, if you look through the pages of Scripture, you will not find that the Bible says the money is the root of all evil. That's probably a very uh, one of the most misconstrued ideas uh, about Scripture and the idea that money is evil. Uh, there is a verse that's similar to that, but uh, just a couple of words uh, in the way that it's actually read in Scripture make a world of difference in uh, how we view money. This is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10, and uh, there Paul writes to Timothy, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So this idea here that money is evil uh, is probably something that's uh, more pervasive uh, in our culture today, uh, that if you have a lot of money that instantly you must have got that by cheating someone or by doing someone wrong. And, and that's just uh, really a patently false idea. Money in and of itself is amoral, uh, meaning that it, there is no, uh, uh, it, it has no good or evilness to it. Uh, what it does depend on is whose hands it lies in. Uh, you can think of an, another example of uh, a lighter, a uh, lighter that light, you know, a little big lighter that s sets a small fire. Uh, in the hands of a person who's trying to build a fire and provide warmth and cook some food, that can be a very useful, helpful, valuable tool. But in the hands of somebody who's trying to cause destruction, to uh, to burn down property, to to uh, commit arson, uh, that'd be a very destructive tool. Well, money's the same way. Uh, it, depending on how you use it and depending on whose hands it's in and the attitude in the heart of the person uh, who holds it will depend on what kind of purposes it can be used for. Uh, there are many uh, in the verses of Scripture people that had lots of money. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with having money. Uh, what is wrong is when money has you, when it controls your heart, when it becomes uh, the thing that you worship. And that's what Paul here is saying, the people who, who want to get rich, who, who chase after the wealth. And uh, Paul simply saying, when you go after that, when you have this love of money in your heart, then you've got a root for all kinds of evil. Once you set up that desire uh, and that idol within your life, uh, it can cause a lot of problems. And we all know people who have just caused so much grief to their <coughs> employers, to their families, uh, just chasing after the ne next get-rich-quick uh, scheme. Um, but if you uh, do, I do believe, if you put the Bible principles and teaching on money into practice, uh, you'll be wealthy. And you should use that wealth to bless the kingdom, to bless others, uh, to support missionaries, to build hospitals, uh, to do many, many good works uh, that the kingdom of God should be doing. So it's a tool. It all depends on whose hands it lies in. But that's what the Bible says on money. All right. Thank you. That straightens it out for me. <laughs> it's amoral. I'm, uh, I wish I had a little more amoral money. <laughs> Hopefully I could use it rightly. Uh, I got a question about a word. Viewer uh, wants to know why do they use the word gay? Uh, I'm not, not sure who he means by they, since basically everybody uses that word. I assume he means why are 
why do we call homosexuals gay these days? I know in my lifetime it's changed. Uh, gay was not used hardly at all when I was young, younger, to, boy or young man, and then it's come into uh, use, and now it's almost uh, strictly used to describe the homosexual community, both men and women. Uh, so I thought I probably knew why it had changed, but I did a little research. I'm about getting it over my head. Some of these uh, etymology websites go back way, way back. Uh, and I've, some of it was kind of interesting. Uh, the word gay really goes way back to like 1100 or so. And originally it meant carefree, uh, bright, uh, showy. Uh, and so that's carried over into Everybody knows the old Christmas carol. Now we don our gay apparel. Uh, it's bright, it's showy, it's carefree. Uh, but that lasted for hundreds of years. And then it began to be used about 1600, according to the things I found. Uh, began to be used more in a connotation of uh, loose and an immoral lifestyle. Uh, prostitutes were called gay. Uh, men who frequented prostitutes were called gay. That was a gay lifestyle that was not kind of elevated from carefree and uninhibited into a loose and an immoral concept. Uh, so that lasted for quite a while. And then in around the 1920s or so, according to most of the things I read, uh, gay started to be used more and more specifically for homosexuals. And so for the last 70, 80 years, it's kind of grown in that usage, uh, and some of the websites did say that it was pushed or promoted uh, by the homosexual community uh, because it sounded better. Homosexual sounds kind of clinical. It sounds like a, a disorder of some sort, which most psychiatrists called it back then, and gay sounds better. It, it doesn't uh, have that clinical disorder uh, means about it. Uh, so it just kept being used more and more until now it's basically all that's used for the homosexual community. So I guess that's why they use it, why we use it. Uh, but bear in mind, words are defined by how they're used. Uh, it changes every once in a while and we do different things. Uh, I know for a while, and this was mentioned in some of the study I did, uh, for a while the young people, uh, teens and 20s thereabouts, used gay as a negative term uh, for basically anything bad. They'd go to a movie that they didn't think was good and they'd say, that movie was so gay. Uh, they didn't mean it had anything to do with homosexuality, they just meant it was a lame movie. Uh, and that's kind of died out. I think everybody found that kind of offensive to uh, the, the gay community. So people don't say that much anymore that I know of. Uh, but anyhow, words are just how we use them in society and that's the word that society's been uh, moved to use these days. Uh, doesn't have anything to do with the subject of homosexuality or what we're talking about, but that's how it came into practice. So I hope that history helps, and I'm sure that's a lot more than that person asked, <laughs> asked to know. But It is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was real interesting. Kind of history of where words. Where it came from. All right, let's take just a moment and talk about a, uh, invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, I said that we mentioned some Churches of Christ each week, and we do because the Churches of Christ support us and keep us on the air, and we appreciate that, and we like to mention one or two of them each week. Today I'd like to tell you about the Great Bend Church of Christ. 
uh, on Stone Street there. Uh, Brother Chuck Marshall's a minister there, a fine young man. And uh, if you live anywhere near Great Bend, uh, drop in and visit them sometime. I tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Uh, they meet for class at 9 o'clock and then they worship at 9.50 on Sunday mornings. And uh, give them a call or drop in sometime and tell them you want to know your Bible and you appreciate them providing the program for you. Of course, wherever you live in the Know Your Bible broadcasting area, you can uh, find a Church of Christ near you probably. You'll find folks that uh, study the Bible a lot like we do, so drop in and give them a visit and tell them where you heard about them. All right, you got, got one for us, Toby? Yes, a viewer asked the question, will people know each other in hell? And my answer to that is I'm not 100% sure. The Bible doesn't tell us a great deal about um, eternity in hell. Uh, hell and heaven are both places that we believe uh, are, are, uh, occur after the day of judgment. Uh, the only insight that we're given at all into the afterlife is in a story that, Luke, or that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16 uh, about a rich man who was in the place of torment, which we believe sort of to be the, the place where the dead wait uh, to be sent into hell, uh, the waiting for the judgment day. Uh, but eternal hell, uh, we're just not given much personal description, and we are for sure are not told at all if we will know each other, if we'll be isolated, if we'll be all together. Um, it's just not given any detail. Uh, what what is true about hell is it is absolute torment. It is um, uh, just the worst place you can imagine. It's described with darkness and fire and a place where the worm does not die. It, it is just the, the most uh, horrible place you can imagine. Um, so uh, I cannot imagine that there's any sort of way we could take any comfort uh, of knowing anyone or remembering anyone, but the Bible simply doesn't say. Let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so uh, the Bible just says hell is a terrible place. We want to avoid it and steer clear of it uh, by seeking refuge in Christ. All righty. Well, the next question is about the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. A viewer wants to know, what is the Eastern Gate referred to in a song? Well, I think the Eastern Gate is referred to in more than one song. I know I've heard some, and I know people say that. Uh, I've heard people say, I'll meet you at the Eastern Gate uh, when I get there. Uh, best I can tell from my study is uh, the Eastern Gate is closest to the temple in Jerusalem, and it's closest to the Mount of Olives where Jesus departed this earth. And then in Acts 1.11, uh, the angel told the apostles that Jesus will return as he left. So some people take all of that and put it together and say, all right, when Jesus comes back to earth, uh, he's going to be closest to the eastern gate. Uh, the problem with all that, of course, he's not coming back to the earth. The first Thessalonians says we're going to meet him in the air and be with him there. But I think that's where the concept came from, that Jesus will be closest to the eastern gate, and that's where you'll want to be when he comes back and uh, all of that. But uh, you can meet at any gate you want to. I don't, I don't think uh, the, the eastern one's anything particularly special. All right, let's answer our trivia question for the day. We're just about out of time. Uh, Jonah got sent somewhere to preach, and that city was Nineveh. Now, he didn't go there immediately. Uh, you can read about that in Jonah 1-2. Uh, 
Uh, God told him to go and Jonah didn't want to go there. So he tried to go somewhere else and uh, God frustrated those plans with a storm on the, the sea and uh, he got thrown in the ocean and all that great story about Jonah. But Nineveh was where he was supposed to go uh, and he tried to refuse God's orders and learned a lesson from it. So there's probably a lesson in that for us. Mm-hmm. We're glad you've been with us today. We don't have any more time for questions, but uh, we'll be back next week with some more of them. And we hope we get to yours. Until then, we hope you have a great week, whatever you're doing. We'll see you next week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.